My name is Harry and you're listening to Queer Reflections, a podcast that intends to explore queer representation on our screens, past, present and future. Now in the past year I've been exploring media and media education in my journey to become a media educator and one of the things I found very jarring in my kind of process was how crucial an understanding of media is to everyone, regardless of their career, um, just to like socially function throughout their lives. Academics such as David Buckingham argue that media industries have replaced mainstream religion in the 21st century, and therefore it's worth considering the effects that these media products have on us as individuals and as larger communities. Part of my education journey consisted of the worry that I shouldn't be visibly queer at work, that it wasn't appropriate for my job, I'm a teacher, but what I quickly found out was that students, especially of the ages between 16 and 19, needed that positive role model who is queer. And that made me think back to how important it was and life-changing it would have been for me in my teens to have a visibly queer teacher. And the feedback I've had from this has been really positive and I feel supported by my colleagues as well. But now that I've kind of graduated as a teacher, one of the things that I kind of want to move on to is kind of how these queer representations affect us. Do we ever kind of think beyond that and how these characters have affected us and and our views in in day-to-day life and also like our personal journeys? Now, the thing is, I want this podcast to kind of go further than just the queer community. We're going to obviously talk about a lot of queer representation, but hopefully down the line, I'll be able to interview um, some people who identify as straight and cisgender and hopefully have the conversation about the representation that they've been seeing and how it's kind of made them form their opinions and maybe negative opinions, positive opinions, what's kind of helped them in their journey to understand uh, queerness, because it's all kind of uh, important to discuss. Eventually, I would like this podcast to kind of go further than that and have to actually have challenging conversations with people who do hold maybe homophobic or transphobic views, but to understand the media that they've consumed and to understand how they formed these opinions. Now, I'm very uh, aware that a lot of these opinions may necessarily come from family or how they've been passed down from parents. Now, over the summer, I asked over 500 people about the queer representation they remember seeing as a kid. And this kind of uh, could boil down to whether it was a queer coded character or someone who was explicitly queer or in a gay relationship, or whether it was uh, kind of more nuanced than that. This has been a really interesting kind of insight into how the media we see has informed and kind of how it's evolved over the past 50 years. And what I did was kind of make a visual representation of that Uh, question and the questionnaire and that I'm going to make that kind of available at the end of this podcast uh, in the notes section. Now the intention of this podcast is to kind of explore the queer representation that individuals have and have grown up with and kind of see like what what was bad what kind of uh, was good and moving on from that. I think it's really interesting to kind of explore these things because they affect us more than we realise. As I previously said, that we kind of think that media industries have re- uh, replaced mainstream religion. They have a really big importance. And I would I say that most of us consume media on a day-to-day basis and it's only ever increasing. One of my favourite things about the kind of the questionnaire that I did was to see how much it has moved on and how we are getting positive, nuanced uh, representations now of queer representations, but not necessarily uh, as queer as we'd like. It's more often than not just uh, lesbian and gay representations. And I also, uh, I would argue that trans representation is struggling. Non-binary representation is definitely struggling. And um, all of these things need to kind of uh, increase now, because I'm an educator in further education, eventually I'd like to consider how uh, queerness and LGBTQIA issues are kind of discussed 
in the classroom and whether they are. And now we all know about Section 28, which was a, a law basically said that the uh, teachers weren't allowed to kind of promote homosexuality in the classroom. And I know that a lot of teachers are like still feeling this anxiety around kind of th those topics. But I'm very much a believer that uh, having uncomfortable uh, conversations in the classroom is vital. And as a teacher, you kind of have to uh, ride with that uncomfortability. Like it's important for us to say, uh, create a safe space, but also kind of lean in and have uncomfortable conversations. With that, though, it, it stands to reason that I should probably introduce myself properly and kind of uh, talk about the representation that I remember seeing as a kid and which one uh, was kind of like vital for me uh, growing up. Um, my name is Harry. I'm a media educator down in South Devon and uh, I'm a gay man. So um, I'm white just because I want to make sure that we kind of I'm aware that I'm a white gay man and I don't necessarily speak for the entire queer community or the person of colour community, but I would like to kind of hear those voices and make this an open discussion as much as possible. Now, my background uh, is quite varied. I kind of uh, studied film and television at university, so I've spoken a lot about representation, um, especially in my master's, uh, where I kind of explored kind of feminism and kind of issues of uh, white feminism within feminism and how that kind of ignores intersectionality. Then I uh, spent a year over in Disney World working as a cultural representative, something that I think is really interesting to talk about. Because Epcot, if anyone hasn't uh, heard of Epcot, it is uh, a theme park in America owned by the Disney company. It was the second theme park that opened in 1982, and it explores kind of uh, representations of the future in Future World, and then also has a world showcase which is based on uh, the World's Fair. From that, I decided to come back. Uh, well, actually, no, COVID sent us home from the Disney program. Uh, then we, uh, I decided to become an educator. And that's kind of what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to teach uh, at university and down the line. At the moment, I'm working in a further education college, teaching media, uh, media studies, film studies, and vocational courses. Now, I'm really passionate about queer representation. Uh, it's always been something that's really been vital for me. I don't think I would be where I am today without the representation that I've seen on screen and the positive representations as well. I think it's definitely come along a long way and uh, representations such as Kurt and uh, Blaine and uh, characters like that that was kind of key in my teens were really vital for me and I'm glad that the representations are getting better and getting more nuanced. But it does make me think back to the 70s and 80s when this representation was so little and whenever there was a queer representation it was uh, stereotyped and it was the comedic joke. Uh, or it was even queer coded and it was never actually said that they were gay or in a gay relationship. Now, I think programs such as It's a Sin really are pushing the boundary and kind of having these conversations that we should have been having earlier on, but now there's the space to have them. But yeah, it stands to reason that we should look at these representations and think about them. That kind of comes down to the crucial point of the, this conversation and how this kind of podcast started is that I was with my boyfriend at the Eden Project and um, I attempted to hold his hand and he kind of recoiled and just said that he didn't feel comfortable and it felt kind of uh, unsafe. And I have to agree with him that that kind of like thought process goes through my head quite a lot. And I often feel like walking through the city centre here that I can't uh, necessarily show affection to my partner. And obviously that's very minor and I'm aware that there are way bigger issues. And I know that there are uh, uh, stabbings and everything across the country. And there are hate crimes against queer uh, people, trans people, uh, non-binary people across the whole world. But I was thinking because even though it's minor, it's kind of a point of contention that we're still kind of, we need to be having these conversations and we need to kind of uh, 
keep challenging and talking openly about this because until I kind of spoke on my Instagram and said like uh, does any other uh, queer couples kind of feel this and the, the results were shocking to me that most people did and I don't know why they were shocking to me because uh, now I look back and I think oh well yeah of course like we're definitely uh, still not very forwards in terms of our rights where our representation might be getting better but we still very much that's a there's a distance between a screen and uh, kind of an individual and there's also the chance that if someone is homophobic or transphobic, if a representation comes on screen, they can just flick the channel so it's not necessarily in their face. So yeah, there is an element of fear of kind of like holding hands and I, th- and I know that Luke wouldn't uh, necessarily hate me for kind of talking about it because I think it's vital for us to talk about. And I also think that a lot of uh, straight cisgender couples kind of think that everything's fine and we shouldn't kind of feel this uh, fear uh, that kind of comes and because they, it's so like second nature, they're able to kind of hold their partner's hand without thought. So yeah, that uh, made me turn to Instagram and kind of ask questions. And then I got really kind of interested in kind of the pool of answers I was able to get. And then I started to ask more and more questions about kind of queer identity, mostly linking to queer education because I'd just come off my PGCE. Um, and I was really interested in how kind of the education side, so the representation and education and how it affected us. And I was interested in people, uh, the queer community and how they think like having an openly gay teacher or having an openly gay trans t- uh, teacher is kind of important to them and would how would it affect them uh, and that sort of thing and basically because of the responses I got I started to think more and more about this like education uh, journey and also kind of the education journey I had and whether there was queer representation in that but then as obviously within a liminal space when we think about education it's definitely within like a formal setting and that's not necessarily the case education happens everywhere in informal settings everything you do every day kind of builds towards you as a person and your skills uh, and your views and then that led me to think more about the media representation we had and have so earlier this year i watched 24 with my um, my boyfriend i was quite shocked to th- to see the gay representation in season one. This isn't a spoiler, it's been out for a long time, but there is a, a a gay man in the first season, I wanna say like episode seven, it's still dark and the program starts at midnight, so I wanna say it's early morning. And the gay man is represented as uh, one, a gigolo, a drug addict, and then someone who is deceitful, so quickly sells out the main character and then dies moments later. Now I must have been 13 or 14 when I first watched this representation and it, so it must have gone over my head. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it kind of uh, didn't have an impact and kind of didn't think about that representation and it didn't affect me. I can't say whether it affected me or didn't affect me, but it's just interesting to see the things I consumed earlier in my teens and think about the representation and think about how I was in the closet at that time and very aware that I was different and had no plans to come out. Now I could talk on and on and on about kind of this sort of thing and kind of my experiences with queer representation, but I'm sure over the course of these podcasts, I'm going to be repeating myself and I'm going to go over stuff and I'll be telling my own stories. But I think what's really important is that I get on to the interview portion and kind of have a conversation with my friend, Natalie. I call her Natalie, but it's actually Natalie. Um, she is a wonderful friend that I met during my master's at Falmouth University. She She's a comedy drama writer down in Cornwall 
We're currently at the end of our film About Penny, uh, which we filmed in 2017. And yes, it's taking a long time, but we've all kind of had things going on and have all kind of struggled with day-to-day jobs and kind of keeping a focus and keeping that light alive. But I think we're at the end of it now and I'm really excited for that be to release. But Nat and I are also working on a, a feature film that explores drag king culture. But yeah, I'm going to pause it here and we're going to get straight into an interview with Nat uh, and we're going to talk to her about her representation she remembers as a kid. Just get into having a conversation about queer representations and how they've affected her journey. And with that, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to a, a, a good old ramble from me. See you in a second. everyone who comes on this podcast is just like what do you really think about queer representation is it important to you yeah I think it's really important to me so so I've been I've been out um for a very long time so since like my early teens and it was really it was something that I really sought out it was definitely so you know if there was a rumor of a like a lesbian kiss in a mm-hmm. tv show I yeah. would be seeking that out and I would be looking for that um, kind of content so yeah I think it's very um well, it was, I think it was I mean it was a lot rarer then mm. I think it's a lot more prevalent now but I still kind of do that so not to ask you your age but when was your teens and in terms of the internet when was my teens in terms of the yeah. internet how would I kind of find that stuff yeah that like question? how would you go about finding that material then so yeah, the, yeah, it would it would be googling, and then also, uh, so I used to go to the HMV mm-hmm. in Guildford mm-hmm. near my hometown, and just to spend ages like looking through DVDs, and like you can kind of you get the kind of like subtle cues from the DVD covers, like two women holding hands. <laughs> Am I just gonna be yeah. putting myself through an hour and a half of a long boring friendship, or might one of them kiss the other one? Okay. Yeah. What sort of films were they? Like, can you name any? Uh, the Incredibly True Adventures of Two Girls in Love. Okay. That That's like a mid-90s film starring Laura Holloman. I watched it the other day with Sophie, actually, because she, she also... So Sophie, my partner, doesn't have any kind of exposure to... Didn't have much exposure to Western media because she grew up in the UAE. Yeah. And so one of the things that we've been doing together is kind of going back through these films. So those are these kind of films I was seeking out as a teenager and watching them mm-hmm. with her now. It's kind of funny watching them in kind of the cold, harsh light of my 30s. <laughs> is there any that you kind of have been like, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was or this is a little bit problematic or with the yeah. distance? Or, yeah. Or many, maybe ones that you kind of held up as like, this was really significant to me and you look back and you're like, why did I like that so much? Yeah, I think it, I think it's really hard to look at it objectively because I think you do kind of hold quite a lot of nostalgia and affection for those like mm-hmm. early. But yeah, there's some where you're watching, you're like, God, the dialogue in this. So one of the <laughs> one of the there's a film called Lost and Delirious, and in that it's kind of like a, a a high school fling, and that's that's actually quite problematic. The kind of way that that storyline resolves itself, 
is that one of the characters kills themselves. Oh, okay. Because they can't handle... Okay, have that in front of me, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's that was interesting, interesting to show that's you. That's like that. the kill your gaze trope, isn't it? Where like Yeah, so she she wants the other one to come out and right. the other one won't. And so the only way to resolve that... Is death. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, very problematic. A very public uh, one as well. Okay. She like, jumps off a building in front of the school. Okay. Yeah. Traumatic. Very traumatic. Um, and d- did you see that as traumatic back then? Or did it have a, do you think it had an impact in kind of... Uh, I think, I kind of remember thinking like, oh God, what if I just never get a girlfriend? Like, what if it's just always going to be too hard for, because I've, because I've been out just for so mm-hmm. long, but that was kind of the dynamic, right? One of them was like, I'm happy, let's just go with this. And the other one was like, no, I can't. And I was like, okay. oh God, what if I'm just the one who's out all the time and I can't ever find... Yeah, and I think that's interesting, and I feel like that's still something we see in media now is kind of people struggling to come out of the closet, and I feel like that is a, a trope in itself, and it's not necessarily a bad trope because it happens. And mm-hmm. I think it's a very positive thing like to kind of demonstrate that on screen. I think sex education has a, a storyline at the moment where uh, someone who used to be the bully, and bear in mind I have not seen sex education, so I might be butchering this completely, <laughs> but I feel like there's a storyline um, where someone used to be a bully is now kind of dating someone but still doesn't feel comfortable to like come out mm. in the relationship so it's very much in the in the closet and I feel like that was my experience too mm-hmm. it was like there's no need to come out until it happens and it happened obviously that's interesting though I think I feel like you searched for a lot more mm-hmm. and do you think that's because of like lesbian representation is kind of harder to find or yeah, I think it was it was definitely something. I like I was like spent a long time looking for <laughs> looking Just for it. Imagine you and HMV. Yeah, HMV like <laughs> scrolling through all the DVD rights. But also it would be stuff like I would read this now that I think back on it, I, I think did I not have any hobbies? But I would like read episode recaps of TV okay. shows that I didn't I couldn't find anywhere online. I'd read the recaps, so I'd be okay. reading someone else's just to kind of yeah, just to kind of because I wanted to, I just wanted to absorb all of it, find all of it. To see where this storyline is kind of happening and, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Even if it's just in written form. Yeah. Of a story. Does that mean you kind of liked fan fiction and stuff or did you like it kind of being like... No, I wasn't ever really into fan fiction. It was always like... It yeah. had to be the real deal. Yeah. In terms of... Films, you could find that kind of, like American films you could kind of find online and stuff. But TV shows, I'd find it really hard to find. Mm-hmm. I think it was, there was a show called, like, I think it was called South of Nowhere and they had a lesbian storyline on that. And it was just, it just couldn't find it anywhere. So that was like the best I could do. And also like those weird, I don't know if you've ever found these on YouTube, like someone will screen grab like the moments and then just put a different song over it. So it would just be like a montage okay. of like stolen glances down the hallway, okay. but with like... I feel like I used to see a lot of that in terms of YouTube kind of, even just like queer coding, like reading into mm, queer coding. Yeah, moments. definitely. Um, yeah. And they'd like put it in slow-mo and yeah, black yeah, and white yeah. and yeah. And a lot of like t- in my Tumblr days, mm-hmm. seeing it a lot. Yeah. And GIFs, just GIFs, yeah. John Repeat, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I feel like there used to be a bigger divide between like American and, and UK TV. And I think streaming kind of. Yeah, it's bridged that. that gap. Bridged that gap a lot more. But yeah, I remember kind of downloading and trying to find things was a lot harder. Yeah. And now I can usually find it on one streaming kind of service. Yeah. So I obviously know this because uh, we're quite close friends, but I just thought you could talk about the first representation you remember seeing. 
Yeah, so for me, it was the tattoo, all the things she said, music video, mm-hmm. which I think... So I was talking to someone about this. I was talking to a group of friends about your project and, yeah. and the first queer. And I said that, and as soon as I said that, they all started singing it. Yeah. So I think... Significant. Yeah, significant. Yeah. And everyone could remember, like, the chain link fence. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I was watching it. I think it was at a sleepover party. We okay. just had, like... Where, you know, you used to watch music video channels. Uh, yeah, we used to always scroll through music videos yeah channels. you just bounce back and forth yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it came on and everyone was like gross and I was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> how disgusting <laughs> we should watch it again so that we know how gross it is yeah that was and that, that really like sticks in my head that's interesting yeah I think also like a music video is there less risk in a music video in terms of representation because it's kind of like a finite thing yeah, I think Tattoo was a really interesting one because it was an entirely manufactured thing. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're just going to... I mean, I, yeah, we're just going to... I make- mean, my understanding of Tattoo is limited, so if you want to talk about it, explain it. <laughs> yeah, so they just kind of... So my understanding is that they, they were kind of like, this would be kind of an interesting thing. What if there were these two kind of Russian young mm-hmm. women in, in love mm-hmm. and they kind of played it as they were these like bisexual mm-hmm. young women and that was supposed to draw attention, but apparently it was all kind of, yeah, false and manufactured. Well, as in it kind of came from, like, a, a yeah. straight writer? Yeah, I think, it, I think I think it was, like, a husband and wife who actually wrote the song. Right. And then, they, yeah, it was just kind of, like, this manufactured image of these two lesbians. Hmm. Yeah. interesting. And that is the representation that's kind of stuck yeah. Is that, like, the first representation, or was it kind of uh, gay male first, or is it...? It's the, it's the first one that I... When you asked the question, that was, like, it immediately mm-hmm. popped into my head. It was just, like, the most significant... Because it was like, you kind of knew who you were at that point or beginning. I was beginning to like put the puzzle pieces together. I was probably, I think I was about 11 or 12. Mm. I was beginning to put those puzzle pieces together for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting about the question is that it's obviously quite a vague question and that's kind of why I posed it because everyone kind of has a different idea. And when you think about first queer representation, is it the one that you kind of, you see that reflection of you? Mm. And a bit more or is it kind of something that is queer coded in cartoons and stuff which you probably didn't realize at the moment that moment but do see it looking back so i i know that that question probably could be clearer but i'm kind of glad that it kind of there's different ways you can do you take I mean? it and i'm yeah. kind of glad about that because i think it kind of opened up the scope of the project yeah instead of discussing about kind of queer coding and things like that because i think if we kind of looked back now on stuff we consume as kids, we mm. probably see a lot of different things, full of problematic things. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's interesting. So you had that kind of negative response to that. Was that something that you kind of saw often with queer media you saw? Any rep- like representations? Was it often in in the audiences you were with, whether that be family or friends, was it always kind of received badly? Or was there any like positive reactions? I've got quite a clear memory of a family member we were watching something on tv and it was i think it was two men kissing i can't remember what the context Mm. was of what we were watching and they said oh like i don't need to see that like two men kissing like what they do in their own time is yeah and i was a bit older by this point i was probably 14 or 15 and i remember being quite argumentative i'm quite argumentative now and it just (laughs) it just started then i hadn't really learned how to channel that in a constructive way um so i just remember being like well we see straight people kissing on TV all the time. Mm. They're constantly kissing on TV. Like I think, I think gay men are allowed one kiss <laughs> in like five thousand. I think that you can probably make it through witnessing that. And it was, 
I just remember like kind of flouncing out of the room in a very dramatic kind of early teen girl way. No, I think, I think, and I think what you say about that is, did you see that as an attack on you at all? Yeah, I took it quite personally. And I think that that probably took them by surprise because they didn't know mm-hmm. that I, I was gay or mm-hmm. feeling like I might be gay at that point. Those moments kind of live with us. Yeah, they do. They really stick. They really stick yeah. in your in your mind. And it's not to say that people can't like evolve and like move and kind of move into understanding, but it's that like initial kind of reaction, isn't it? That kind of especially at quite a formative time or a difficult time, they think they can yeah really lodge in your in your mm-hmm. mind and you kind of come back to them. Mm-hmm. So we spoke about tattoo. What would you say was the most like significant text for you in your teens though? For kind of your journey. Probably the f- the film I watched. Is it going to be the film I know you're going to watch? Yeah, but, but I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was very... Um, so there was that, but there was also Sugar Rush. Yeah, okay. Which... It's a TV show, right? TV show, yeah. yeah. And at the time that came out, I think I was probably about 14 okay. or 15, around that. Sugar Rush come think Based on that, that timeline, I think it was about <laughs> 2000 and... I want to say 2004 or five. What, what was that on? It was on Channel 4. Channel 4, yeah. Okay. But that was, that was kind of interesting because that was... It wasn't just, like, all the girls at my school were watching Sugar Rush. Yeah. As I recall. Like, mainstream appeal. Yeah, people, yeah. and people were kind of interested. It was kind of like, it, Skins came out, I think, the year after mm-hmm. that, and there was that similar kind of people were watching it. Yeah. And so that was really interesting to me. And because I was out of my school, people would talk to me about it quite a lot. That's interesting. Yeah. Like a point of conversation. Yeah. I remember Skins being very significant. Yeah, hugely. But yeah, Sugar Rush and... But I'm a cheerleader. So, what was it about? But I'm a cheerleader. Um, I thought it's very. Uh, I th- well, I found it quite an impactful film to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watched it yeah, a lot yeah, more recently. recently than I have. Yeah. I think just like the color palette in the film is very striking, mm-hmm. and yeah, I just think I, I, I mean, I love Natasha and I love Claire Duval, who are the two mm-hmm. leads. Um. And I think it's also, it's quite funny. It's quite tongue in cheek. There's a lot of kind of poking at stereotype. I found that quite interesting because obviously before then, a lot of the representation I'd seen was just kind of like, yeah, quite bleak. <laughs> so and tragic. Yeah, yeah, tragic. You know, people jumping off of school buildings or yeah. um, Russian lesbians torn apart by a chain link fence, like those kind of things. So then it was quite refreshing to see this like bright pink and blue. Yeah, I definitely felt like it it plays very powerful now mm. and very funny and very current still. Yeah. And I think maybe more so about gender now. Yeah. I feel like it, uh, it may have been more significant about kind of representation of gayness now, but kind of gender roles is very sh- shown quite significant in it. Um, also RuPaul's in it, which is kind of a, that's an interesting role. Really interesting. Really interesting role. for Playing you. as like a, a, a pseudo straight man. Yeah, which is... Excellent. It's very camp, very, I don't know, I would recommend it to anyone. Mm. Uh, and I definitely have recommended it to a lot of people since watching it. So I'm sorry it took me how many years to watch it. Uh, yeah, I think, like you said, I think if anyone's on the fence about watching, you should watch the trailer and that gives you quite a good... Yeah, just, it, I think when people, I, it might be in association with what people think of queer kind of, or like lesbian films mm. and maybe the bleakness and then you see kind of programmes like SNL really uh, take the piss out of things like that the the period lesbian yeah, drama excellent. sketch um, very funny very funny um, I, I watched Ammonite after I watched that and it made it 
much funnier. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of Amadou? Uh, I I mean I I enjoyed watching it, but I think there's there's been quite a lot of there's, there's I've seen criticism about the sex scene right. as being kind of a male directed sex scene. I enjoyed watching it. Mm-hmm. It just did really have that like oh isn't life bleak kind of backdrop which I think is kind of you know not every film can be the perfect representation and not every film should be happy Mm -hmm. you know it's just like when you've watched like 30 of them in a row have you seen Disclosure? no it's a documentary on trans representation it's on Netflix it's very good but they say like none of these representations would be as kind of poignant if there was just more representation yeah and I feel like that's That's the problem yeah Yeah, yeah. it's like we've got one so yeah yeah, and because it's like the one and it's like a bleak tragic thing but i think conversely so i also watched portrait of lady on fire last year which had a lot of you could draw a lot of parallels between ammonite and portrait Mm -hmm. of lady on fire but i thought that portrait of lady on fire i've i enjoyed i enjoyed the experience of watching it more even though it doesn't it's not necessarily a happy ending it's not necessarily a happy film film i just kind of yeah felt connected a bit more with it did it feel queerer it's just it felt a bit more vibrant it felt yeah. like yeah i don't know i mean it's yeah lesbians I mean, I, by the yeah. sea is essentially the the tagline for both of them so it's yeah. just would you rather watch french lesbians or british lesbians <laughs> by the sea and you prefer french lesbians yes okay yeah i mean i've generally only seen that snl sketch but i do and i have, haven't seen many lesbian films because i i'm not a lesbian woman but that was that's the general vibe that i got from that so i still can't found kind of what snl did really kind of pertinent and i remember sharing it with both you and sophie and you mm-hmm. being like that's that's exactly very it. funny yes. yeah and it was very funny yeah and it's funny you know kate mckinnon in yeah. that sketch as well i think yeah. yeah kate mckinnon is kind of someone that i feel like stuck out for you recently in terms of yeah. definitely on snl uh, yeah i love kate mckinnon why is that i think i i think she's really funny and I, it's nice, like, so yeah, what we were just talking about, you know, sad lesbians by the sea. It's nice sometimes for lesbians to be funny, yeah. women to be funny in general. I think she's definitely been kind of instrumental in SNL, kind of moving into kind of more queer representation. And I feel like that's moved on uh, a lot recently. Mm. Feels like there's definitely more of a queer voice going on. And it might be to do with particular writers, I don't know seeing a lot more of myself in the representations that are on SNL and it's very funny and Lorne Michaels always says like the best season of SNL is the one you kind of grew up with because uh, people always argue that early early SNLs get better and I yeah. feel like right now uh, probably probably three years ago is like peak SNL for me in terms of the representations and I would say probably the same for you I feel like we went through a stage of yeah, watching we, it we just watched a lot, it uh, yeah a lot non-stop. non-stop we're both quite obsessive people about <laughs> media yeah. we rewatch and rewatch big rewatches well saying that is there any like media that you rewatch that's not necessarily queer or maybe has a queer character in it or queer coding um stuff i rewatch so over the garden wall we've <laughs> talked about that so we both started watching that i think for three or four years ago yeah, it was on your recommendation. But that's quite an interesting show because it's pitched as like a kid's show, but it's it has very dark a, and twisty. A big adult audience, I want to say. Yeah, I, I rewatched that. That's spooky season rewatching. Yeah. So, what is it about that that is the appeal? Of? I just, I really like the writing of it. And I think the art style is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy it. I think it's just, very, I'd recommend it to anyone. Everyone should watch it. I think it's definitely one of those shows where I was like unsure what it was mm. and then I got it. Yeah. I think the soundtrack is... Oh, the soundtrack's incredible. incredible. Yeah. yeah. 
I listen to it quite often. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy kind of rewatching that. Anything else you kind of think? Seasonal stuff, I think maybe that's, you know, Christmas films and stuff that you watch every year. Mm-hmm. Love Actually, and every year I watch Love Actually, I'm like, why am I doing this? I also feel that, like, and I feel like that's kind of evolving recently where I am like, none of these representations are me. And I, I feel like that's interesting mm. and I know that they cut a lesbian story out of it, it did, yeah. which I think is Very interesting rude. and I feel like that's what's missing for me now because it's about all types of different love mm-hmm. and I feel like it's quite a major thing to me to kind of have representations of queer love in is there any queer no it's literally just because it was a head teacher and mm-hmm. it was a head teacher story then wasn't it it was cut out but there's no kind of Nod or anything. And I think that that's quite major to me now. So I literally feel like I watched it last year and I was a bit grumpy about it because <laughs> I was just like, this is just not us. And I don't know. I find that more now that I'm kind of the media that I want watched. Mm. I'm like, oh, this isn't Jimmy. And I get the appeal of actually. Yeah, I still enjoy. I do still enjoy watching it. I think there's just bits in it now that make me cringe. Cringe, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we've kind of spoken about your first representation and most mm. significant. And is there like a TV series you go back to? One that you kind of is it Sugar Rush for you? I haven't gone back to Sugar Rush in a long time, so I think that's there's there's it. That's quite just quite a dramatic storyline. There's quite like there's a lot of okay. Elevate picture to me because I obviously don't know what's. A uh, girl starts at a new school, meets an, another girl, and then starts to realise that she's got feelings for her. Okay. Um, but then it just gets a bit... It's a British, British isn't British, it? British, yeah. Okay. It's, it's set in Brighton, right. and there's quite a lot... She just doesn't really know how to handle that, so there's a bit where she's considering, like, drugging her. Like, that's the kind of... Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So that, that's... I've not really gone back to that in a while. I think that's left safer in the past. I don't know. Like, there's a... There's a there's a trope of, yeah, lesbians just being miserable at the end of films. That's, like, the, the thing, right? There's no... Yeah, which is why Black Man Cheerleader kind of stands out, I guess. Yeah, that's a nice... It just, it's a very Hollywood ending, and yeah. I don't feel like you rarely see that, do you? Yeah, I appreciated it. I mean, I think so. about, uh, like, Broke Back Mountain, that was just that absolute tragedy. Yeah, do you just know what pure bleak. Yeah. yeah, no one wins. No, no one one's wins. happy. Just pure sadness. Yeah. Very good film, but also very depressing to watch yeah. as a 15-year-old gay kid who is like, oh, this is my life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you kind of feel like representations are getting better then? I think, yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, yeah, like we, like we kind of said, there's more, there's just a lot more. And I think now there's probably, in like kind of big TV shows and stuff, there's probably at least one kind of queer character or storyline, whether it's a good Mm. character of good storyline is another question striking with me i was like is it happening more on streaming services than mm. kind of terrestrial tv yeah because no, i don't we don't, I don't watch no we don't n- normal tv i only it's a very curated <laughs> it's just reality tv at the moment but other than that it's just yeah what sort of reality tv then at the moment i'm watching 90 day fiance and how's that it's really bad <laughs> there's no queer representation in that Everyone okay, so what's the appeal in that for you uh, I don't. I honestly don't know. I just. I. It's fascinating to me. Well, I was just wondering if kind of the representation we saw in Big Brother and things like that is kind of poignant. Oh yeah, definitely. Is there anyone yeah. you kind of remember? I'm trying to think now, like what other kind of stuff like that around that time, like young being younger. I don't know. Um, 
Well, no, so re- you've not seen The Circle, have you? Uh, the, the the one where they're in each different room. And, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've, I mean, I've seen drag queens watch it. Yeah, but... the first the first season of that had a, had a, a gay man called Chris on it, and he was really good. I wanted him to win. Spoiler, he doesn't win. Oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> Not because he's gay. Other reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, what was kind of significant about that then? I don't know. He was just very, like, he was just very gentle and kind and authentic. He was probably the most authentic person on it. He was the person who I thought came out of it looking... The best. The best, the least manipulative. Because um, that whole thing is about kind of, you can be manipulative. You can be manipulative. And, and, you can catfish, yeah. you can do whatever. Yeah. But he genuinely just seemed like a very yeah. nice person. Interesting. Um, what 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 was kind of the main the biggest things that came out? Who what were the kind of most popular? Um, the one that kind of surprised me, but now kind of looking back to it, given the fact that it's a very popular program, was Carol and Susan. Okay. Yeah. I think that was quite. They kind of they kind of banged on about it in Friends. They kept being like, "Ross is married yeah, to a lesbian." Ross is married to a lesbian. And I feel like it's. Uh, it's like a joke that probably doesn't land now, or it just doesn't land to us now. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel kind of watching something that's consistently making like lesbian jokes like that? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, I think it's just, it says more about Ross, I think, than yeah. <laughs> or the character that they tried to write for Ross. I don't know. But I think, in the end, I think they kind of brought it around. So when Carol and Susan do actually get married, I thought that that was in general. I've completely forgot that episode, but I've seen images of that. So... In that episode, Susan's no Carol's parents say that they can't support right. the wedding, yeah. and then Ross walks her down the aisle, oh, yeah, and he's like the support. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he kind of like makes his peace with it yeah. because I guess like the story isn't actually my wife's lesbian. The story is my wife has left me for someone, and yeah. for some reason they decide to fixate on the fact that she's left him for another woman. But actually, I mean, anyone would be hurt if their wife left them for anyone, cheated yeah. on them, and left them for someone. So I think it's really interesting that he decided to hype that. I mean, they all just have such fragile egos, don't they? Or the, the like, fragile male egos on yeah. friends. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, and that they're kind of attached to that one, actually. It's just kind of like a breakup anyway. Yeah. It's significant, and I guess even more significant when it's like a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess what makes it more complicated is the fact that there's a kid involved. Yeah. And I, I don't know, there's, there's interesting stuff about gender, and I, I feel like I remember them both attending, like, the baby classes, whatever that class is called. The Lamar's class. Lamar's class. Mm. What's Lamar's mean? Don't know. Okay. I only know it from American TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's interesting. And I feel like I've seen that shown in TV shows like Bridget Jones's Baby, mm-hmm. where they uh, there's two men in that story, isn't there? Yeah. I don't know who's the father. Yeah. And they kind of attend and they're suggested that they're a gay couple and one mm-hmm. of them leads into it. And I think... Um, Colin Firth Colin is like, no, is thank like you. very unamused by it, mm-hmm. um, which is very interesting. And I feel like that's the media I'm kind of thinking maybe hasn't evolved that much. Mm. But maybe that's to do with the audience of that film and that it's it's kind of an older audience. And I, I feel like that film quite significantly looks down on Gen Z mm-hmm. and kind of really goes Social into the media. And, yeah, yeah, and it kind of sees them as like a two-dimensional people who just like spend their lives online and yeah. uh, very fickle. So I think watching that was quite interesting and seeing kind of that limited gay representation. And I think I obviously don't have a TV license and I don't have live TV in the house at all. Um, but there is the concern that terrestrial TV for me feels behind mm-hmm. in the sense that yes, we might have kind of mainstream representation of these characters now, but it's more stereotyped and maybe the nuanced representation we're seeing is on streaming services. Yeah, I can see I see that point. There's I think there's been some good 
some good stuff on terrestrial tv lately it's a sin oh yeah it's a sin yeah you i really i, I still haven't seen it's a sin i'm probably gonna get moaned up for that but yeah. i will watch it at some point but you liked that a lot right i yeah i thought it was a difficult watch but i enjoyed it and i thought it was i thought yeah i thought it was interesting and it kind of showed a you know a little bit of history that mm. I hadn't, I'd only really seen in glimpses, I hadn't really seen anything dedicated to that, to the specifically to, you know, kind of the HIV. And I think that's interesting as well, because in that first question that I asked, which I'm, I'll attach the photo to this podcast, but um, a lot of people said my first kind of representation of gay identity was the age crisis. Yeah. So... I didn't. I didn't know anything, no. anything really, other than kind of the superficial, the, the yeah, the loose idea of what had happened so yeah it was it was really interesting to see that in a little bit more so we've said that we're kind of moving forward do you think they are kind of moving forward more on kind of streaming streaming services or yeah i think there's a lot there's a lot more content maybe maybe i think well so if we look at kind of like what kinds of things are being made and what so if we so i recently made a short film which was supported by the bfi and they've got kind of the criteria for the kinds of films that they want to Mm -hmm. support and pushing that diversity and representation so not just about queer representation but you know all there's there's a whole Mm -hmm. whole kind of list of different things that they're trying to underrepresented areas that they're trying to bring up and i think it's kind of things like that i think it's kind of initiatives like that and and saying you know we're we're looking to tell those stories of people that haven't been told and we're looking for new stories Mm -hmm. we're looking for you know rural stories stories about you know people that don't get told it doesn't all need to be the same rehashed stuff again and again and again and I think that I think that there's a real public demand for it and it's not just queer people who want to see stories like this you know I think you know there's plenty of other people straight people cis people who who are interested yeah. who who appreciate that content you know how many straight cis people watch Drag Race yeah exactly a massive amount of, of straight cis people watch Drag Race and things like It's a Sin, I think, did very well across the board in terms of... Yeah, people who were... You know, my mum watched it. She yeah. really enjoyed it. I don't... I mean, there's... Yeah, there's also, you know, Breakback Mountain that came out when I was at sixth form. That was 2005 or something. What, 2005? I was not at sixth form then. I'm going to look it up. I mean, it was 10. No, it must be later than that. I don't know, because Dark Knight was 2008. Do you date everything by when Dark Knight was? No, I'm just thinking <laughs> it about It was 2005. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. And 2005... Oh, what? That didn't come out when I was at college. That came out when I was a child. Well, 2005 was the year that Crash beat Brokeback Mountain at the Oscars and everyone was upset. Oh. Anything negative from kind of siblings, maybe? Not that I'm putting you on the spot about it. I'm just interested because um, I obviously had that quite big moment about Dumbledore. Yeah, no, I think um, my my brother and I have never... Hi, Jack, if you're listening. Have never really discussed discussed it. It was just kind of like, he's, he's a very... Uh, quiet stoic young man so we've never kind of really talked about that before um i don't know i so when when i was younger i don't know if kids are still doing this now are they still doing this now when i, I don't was, know because you've not spoken about well, it. when i was at school when i was at school we just i i used to call everything gay everyone yeah used to say everything i mean was gay are yeah. they still doing that um the classes i teach no i feel like most people know that it's like offensive now but they still do they still use it some people some people do and the the kind of instances i hear it it is in kind of the chang from community Mm -hmm. instance so i kind of that feels like it's a reference and uh obviously is a bad joke 
and it yeah. doesn't play very well now. Yeah, taken uh, out of context. Taken out of well. context. Um, but it does seem minor. But then I teach kind of the diverse group, and I teach a group that we kind of talk about that quite a bit. And they're also aware that I'm a gay teacher, mm-hmm. so I don't know whether that plays anything into it. And I feel like I would derail my lesson to have a conversation about it at mm-hmm. this point. Um, because I feel like that's minor, but adds up to a bigger thing. Um, yeah. But language use, no, I've never not really seen like. But yeah, I remember saying things okay. Yeah, so I feel like all all me. I've got two siblings. I feel like yeah. me, my brother, and my sister all yeah. would call ed- everything gay. Yeah, and I feel like maybe I felt like there was more of a, like I am gay, so I can say it. Yeah, that's yeah. our word for us. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I I very much was. Uh, so before I went to university. Uh, and when I was at university for my bachelor's, I was very, I didn't want to be part of the LGBT community. I had a lot of, um, I was very critical about myself in that regard. I didn't want to, I don't want to be, I don't yep. want to be gay. I don't want to, I don't want to be lumped in with you. <laughs> I'm just doing my own thing over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I thought I was going to find a girlfriend with that attitude. <laughs> um, I know what you mean though. I was very much like, you know, I don't need I don't need your help. I've made it this far. You know, by that point, I'd been out already probably five years, and I was like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't, and I was very I, like, I'm very embarrassed about it now. But I was very much like, I don't need feminism. Like, what do I need that for? And like, it's really, I mean, to hold myself accountable, it feels better than to pretend that I never did that. But yeah, yeah like that was very much my attitude. It was I don't need the LGBT society. What What are they going to do for me? And I I regret that now quite deeply. I yeah. wish I had engaged more. And I feel like I definitely was like that too. I feel like I was like, I'm never going to go to a Pride. I'm never, like, that's fine. I'm glad that you feel comfortable to do that. I even felt that about, like, drag. And I was just like, I don't want to kind of go see drag. I kind of, I don't know whether it was a threat on kind of my masculinity or kind of how I felt in my gender. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I don't know, kind of gay, being gay kind of made me feel more effeminate and I needed to kind of maybe increase my masculinity performance to kind of counteract that in terms of maybe safety and kind of to avoid kind of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just just really didn't want to be associated at all with it. And that, that very, um, yeah, pride, being very happy and, and out and, and wanting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't, didn't want to. But that's interesting. And we've spoken before about the word lesbian and how kind of you feel about that. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I don't know. What's your thoughts on it at this moment? Um, what I, would you refer to you as your identity? I always say that I'm gay. Yeah. Sophie and I both refer to ourselves as gay yeah. instead of lesbian. I think it does... Do you know in Mean Girls, where she goes, I've got a big lesbian crush on you. <laughs> that That's what plays in my head yeah. when I hear that word. And it's like the way that she says lesbian. <laughs> find it really hard to not hear it as lesbian like that um actually it's mean girls day today as we're recording oh, this yeah. yeah yeah happy october 3rd but um oh i wanted to ask about your like lgbtqa education and whether it did exist at your school at all and what was that for you i went to an all-girls catholic school right. it's not known for sex yeah. education in general right. let alone kind of queer sex ed what's the there was sex ed though there was i remember there being like in biology Mm -hmm. i remember like the biological like the the function the very much like yes this is what sperm Mm -hmm. is this is what in a Mm -hmm. uterus let's ask where that is Mm -hmm. in the body like i remember that bit so it was very much they did talk about condoms and like birth control and stuff Mm -hmm. like that 
none of that's particularly relevant if you're a lesbian. True. So yeah, it was it really wasn't touched on. And like queer stuff in general. It was it was just very much I remember when so I didn't really come out as, as much as I told someone I was gay and it kind of just got around in that way that gossip does when you're at school mm-hmm. and I remember someone like very seriously telling me like you need better hope that this doesn't get to the head teacher because you will just be expelled and I was just genuinely like very panicked. Like, oh, I look back it's like you can't expel me I mean yeah. I don't know what's going to happen I'm not going to be able to do my GCSEs like, obviously that would just get resolved but at the time I just remember being like and like not not having told, necessarily told my parents yet and just panicking about what that conversation would look like yeah so yeah that it was just like a, it was a weird place because mm-hmm. not a lot of the student body was religious but the teachers and like the the vibe was very yeah, Catholic. we went to mass and mm-hmm. i mean it must have come up in english because i feel like like writers are gay you know? writers yeah, are gay yeah. in in english mm-hmm. I, definitely at gcc they kind of make you pick all of that stuff apart don't they but yeah so what, what was your like queer education in that case like what media kind of maybe that's why I went so far trying to find it because I wasn't getting any mm-hmm. at school it was almost entirely the media yeah because yeah. I didn't and I didn't really talk about it with my my family and I didn't really talk about it with I talked about it with my friends after a few years after it, it happened mm. but I just remember just generally being quite embarrassed about it there's a lot of shame associated with it isn't there yeah definitely and that's because it's not spoken about yeah okay last question mm-hmm. what do you kind of want from kind of queer representations going forward so like lgbtqia plus like what do you think is the next step or what would you like to be seeing i would like to see more big budget mm-hmm. lgbt representation because i feel like there's a really good like there's so many indie queer films and I think that's really good and I don't think that we need any less of those I think that's great we should have lots of those as well but like if you look at like really like so if you think about like Carol it's a really good example I think of what can be done Mm -hmm. with like a you know that's I think that's what what is needed um you know I've read the book I've seen the film it's not perfect but I think it's I think it's you know a good step and I think you know more big budget films with with what do you mean, like, from particular stu- in studios, or...? I just, yeah, no, no, no one in particular, I just think in general. And, like, you know, let's, you know, give queer directors... Let's give me a big budget. <laughs> <laughs> let's, no, but yeah, big budget to, like, kind of queer, authentic storytelling, I think, is with, like... So I think we kind of, we get a mix. It's like sometimes we can have, like, you know, a really good cast and but the director's a straight mm-hmm. person and i just think it would be really interesting to have like as you know more kind of queer queer directors kind of get better known and um, yeah yeah i think yeah but yeah i know what you mean it's also it's like more but also more kind of in the mainstream as well yeah more mainstream i think that's yeah. maybe what, what it, that would be really good yeah it does part of that is like i i definitely agree with you there but part of it makes me concerned and is that we kind of are going to see queer kind of authenticity adapted to kind of mainstream audiences yeah and like straight palette do you want me to make it palatable for straight audiences and that's kind of something you, when I, I've been doing any research into kind of drag culture mm-hmm. and people have viewed kind of RuPaul's Drag Race as really good but also very much just 5% of the top layer of what drag is and very like straight okay do you know what I mean yeah so that's interesting. How do you think you could combat that? Uh, I think it, I think it really comes from just making um, kind of you know measured decisions in 
casting in story authentic authentic voice is is kind of the key i think mm-hmm. and yeah i think that i think yeah i think that's really but that's that's why i look forward to is like a big whatever that film is i don't know what it's gonna what be film? i don't know like whatever the concept right is <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know but i don't I is think that something that's like a driving force for you then as a creator no, because I don't think I'll ever make a big. I don't think I'll ever. That's. I don't think that's in my future. But I think. Um, but when you're writing. Yeah, I'd like. I think. I think it would just be. I mean, I'm sure. Maybe there are lots of people out there who are like not you, dum dum. There's all of these uh, films that tick that these boxes. But I, you know, I don't know. I know. I, I know what you mean, but I also think that because you, that might be the case, but because we don't know about it, mm. it speaks to it. Do you mean? Yeah. And also, I think you we were talking about the next thing you were writing and you said that you were on about maybe not writing them as queer and we had that discussion mm-hmm. and you were like, well, I, as a gay woman, should probably just write them as a gay woman. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because I didn't want them to be gay for the sake of being gay, but then actually the kind of the more I thought about it, I was like, it's, I think it, I don't think it, I think it does the story a disservice to not have them be queer. And I think that's weird, isn't it? It's that it wouldn't necessarily be a choice to write, write a character straight, whereas it seems like it's a choice to write a character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of like it's oh, the default straight. Yeah. And it's like, oh, why have you decided to, yeah, yeah to, to deviate from the... And okay. yeah, I think that one of... The, I think it was, again, it was that kind of internalised, like, I don't want people to think that the only thing I can do is do gay stuff. Like, <laughs> that's the only... Do you know what I mean? But then I guess we don't think... On the reverse of that, we don't think about straight creators being like the only thing I do is straight stuff. No. So it's interesting that the way you hold ourselves to that kind of standard. Yeah. Obviously, thank you so much for all your continued support. Now we should wrap up now, but um, yeah, thank you for being my first guest. Have you enjoyed it? Yes, thank yeah. you for having me. Um, yeah, you've been amazing, and kind of chatting to you. This we don't often get to chat. I feel like we chat kind of. We chat consistently, but not kind of like face to face. This is very strange actually being in the same room as you. Yeah, everything. it is odd. And um, I really appreciate your time. So thank you. And hopefully speak to you again. So that was our first interview with uh, Nat Wilcox. You can find her over on Instagram and I'll put it in the notes below. Um, She's currently working on a couple of scripts and she's just finished a BFI short called Dog Years, which I would definitely recommend you checking out. It's a Cornish language film, a really cool project and kind of the Cornish representation is really interesting as well. Now there's a couple of things I just wanted to finish on today. One of them is kind of uh, about queer language. I think there's something that I really want to kind of uh, talk about a lot and it's kind of the queer lingo and the the language that we use and I think well, that's one of the things that kind of makes people struggle with uh, kind of talking about queerness is kind of the language barrier because there's a lot of terms that we use um, in day-to-day basis and what basically kind of is 
the genesis of kind of talking about this is that I once ran a session on pride in my classroom and it was a really good opportunity for my students to kind of talk about this language and kind of talk about what things mean. And there's a great book called The Queen's English that I would definitely recommend you get. I'm going to put it in the bottom in the feed. I would recommend you buying it and kind of using it. There's a lot in there in terms of like sexual language, but there is a lot in there as well as about like identity and identity politics and kind of how to use words. And what's really interesting about this book, it kind of traces the origin of these phrases and then how they use now, whether it's offensive to use now. Now, I just want to say a massive thank you to Natalie Wilcox for coming onto the podcast and being an awesome friend as well. And everyone who's kind of supported this journey so far and has been messaging me about the podcast. Now, if you're interested about coming onto the podcast and kind of having conversations uh, about the queer representations you remember seeing or kind of the ones that were impactful to you, please, please get in contact. Please reach out. Or if you just want to have a conversation about anything, uh, that DMs on the Queer Reflections uh, Instagram are always open. Uh, please let's go have a conversation. Um, this podcast is an evolving project and I would like as many people as possible to be part of it. So with that, thank you so much, everyone. Have an amazing day and thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye.